0: Welcome, everyone, to episode 50 of the Premiere Pod. I'm your host, Yash Bika, joined by my co-host, Tyler Chan. Before we get into a little little bit of a rundown of what we're going to talk about this episode, it is the big 50 for us. It's pretty crazy that we ended up here. Um, Literally, I, I remember starting this podcast in my room back at my house in Cartersville, like the beginning of last season and then i added on tyler and then tyler and i have been just doing it consistently all of last season and into this year and even though he's got a full-time job it's pretty cool that we're at 50 i don't know about you tyler it's a pretty cool achievement mm-hmm. the
1: half century mark for podcasting <laughs> it's pretty it, cool and we have yeah because we've it cons- kept it consistent every week so far for basically running into two seasons now in terms of premier league season so this is this is pretty dope. This is a big
0: achievement. So, the big fifty right here. Oh yeah, and it, it, it's pretty cool because there's been days, or there's been days recorded when I've been sick, when he's been sick. um There's even been days where I've had to do a solo episode and stuff like that, just because of our schedules. Our schedules can get just so busy sometimes. But um for us to stay this consistent, it's it's pretty cool. And I I'm so looking forward to the next fifty we have, and I can't wait for the day we reach hundred. But Right now, fifties is a good a good achievement right now. But j- jumping right into the episode, we got Everton Tottenham, Leicester City continuing their dominance and just continuing a winning streak in the Premier League. And Liverpool and Manchester City coming from behind to get their victories. And Manchester United losing against Bournemouth and much more. But to get things started, we have to start off with some pretty sad news. We're in the Everton Tottenham game. Everton midfielder Andre Gomes suffered a horrific... Ankle injury. I think we've all seen the video. Um, Basically, human son was going in for a tackle, then Serge Aurier came along with it, and then, you know, Gomez's ankle just basically horrifying incident. Um, I don't think I need to describe it more there, but son, when he saw the injury, just basically couldn't believe it, and he was just so sorry. Son actually ended up getting a red card for that tackle, but later it was rescinded, so now he doesn't have the red card anymore. But he actually, it was a pretty cool gesture by him. Um, in the Champions League midweek game, uh, let, Tottenham ended up winning that game, but Son scored and he actually dedicated his celebration to uh, Andre Gomes. So praying for Gomes to make a full recovery, he had a successful surgery, but you hate to see that, especially uh, in a competitive league like the Premier League, just for someone's, so uh, just for a player to have his, basically his entire year, an entire like playing, maybe like two seasons worth of playing years uh, taken away from, from an injury like that. Mm-hmm. And of course we do
1: as Yash mentioned wish him a speedy recovery and with this successful surgery he posted on Twitter he posted on Instagram like a message out to everyone saying he's doing well and he should be recovering well but it was it was something for the the squeamish it was it was hard to watch honestly it was like Oof. it was like watching Gordon Hayward's injury or Paul it George's Luke, injury I
0: remember Luke Shaw um in the 2015 2016 Champions League uh when he basically broke his foot I believe uh then you know and it, and I felt so bad because the up to that point was having such a good season and when he broke it I mean he didn't really get back to himself maybe two seasons after that I mean it, each player is different but as Tyler mentioned I'm hoping Gomez can make a quick recovery and get back to playing um in the midfield and get back to his best days but uh wishing him the best for right now but overall the game ended up 1-1 um wasn't the best of games. I think this game, basically, it was a clear sign that both of these teams are lacking a lot of confidence in their play. Um, Both managers kind of going in there hoping for a victory rather than expecting one. And you kind of saw that in the play. The first half was very boring. Um, Really no chances were created on either end. It was just a very dull first half. Um, But in in reality, I just took away, my biggest takeaway is like both teams need to gain some momentum and they need it fast in the Premier League because they are free-falling.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: And this game for Tottenham,
1: Harry Kane actually did not start because not only him, like he he got a virus, but also his entire family, unfortunately, caught a virus. So the whole Kane family was sick. So for this game, Lucas Moura started at striker and right behind him was Deli Alli. And Deli Alli recently has not been doing too well, especially this season where
0: historically... Yeah, he's, he's been, been he's been called out like, by a couple of uh, English pundits, Gary Neville, uh, Billy Keane. Yep, I mean he's basically been called out.
1: Mm-hmm. And basically, all these pundits, every basically past Premier League legend, England legend, Roy Keane's, uh case, Ireland legend, <laughs> like all these players have just been calling him out because, literally, when he came to Tottenham, like during his first couple of seasons, he's been playing better. Then, than he has now, after you got the big contract and everything. So, for him to score this game, that was pretty big for him to hopefully get some momentum going into the rest of the season because basically his, his celebration showed that <laughs> his celebration of him just taking a nap in the middle of the field basically that kind of showed for what his play was like during <laughs> the first
0: sums up part season. of this season.
1: <laughs> yeah, this sums up his season pretty well. So, I don't, he made himself a meme right there, but basically. The goal also kind of happened because Alex Wilby, of all players, former Arsenal player, just gave the ball oh, away, no. and then Dele Alli, Dele Alli, got the first opening goal. But hopefully for Dele Alli, that could be something that can help jumpstart Tottenham to you know get some results, and maybe he can be that player that can be the goal, the goal scorer. That he has been from midfield because he's not really a creative player. Yeah, he's not really. I was really, going like, to ask. Player. He's kind of like yeah. I was going to
0: ask what do you think his best position is that? Because I've always felt uh, whenever he was first introduced at Tottenham and when we've gotten the best or when we've seen the best out of him, he, I guess in the four-two-three-one setup, he was kind of set up as the number 10. But in reality, he wasn't like, I don't know. I felt like he never played as a number 10. He kind of fit, played as maybe like a center forward. Like he was that high up the field. And his best ability was he had an act for finding the, his way into the goal. And, you know, whenever a cross came in, he always had the instincts to you know basically score goals and that was his biggest asset was he could score goals like he was kind of like people kind of compared his output to Yaya Torre in terms of he could potentially be a midfielder that could get close to 20 goals or 15 goals a season and when he was at his best he was doing that but right now he just hasn't been performing up to that level mm-hmm. and I agree because
1: for Dele Alley, whenever you think of him he's always kind of like almost like a sec- second striker for Tottenham he's if Harry Kane's not finishing across, it's usually Deli Alley, and he is one of those players that can make a chance happen from the top of the box. is specifically, one of the goals of the seasons where he oh basically
0: yeah, I forgot about that one top against, of the Crystal box. Yep, against Crystal Palace.
1: Against Crystal Palace, right Ooh. on that one where he basically received the ball, flicked it over him, and then wow. like while the ball was still there, he turned around and just volleyed it side foot into the bottom left corner, which is one of the best goals I've ever seen. And things like this. We don't really see from Daly Alley this whole season. So, like that, that spark, that creativity to really make a chance happen, like something like Otinho could do, like one of those players where he can just make space for himself, just get a shot off, where it's like, how, how do you even take a shot from there? It's like, he's just surrounded or just get the header in from just out of nowhere. He's one of those players that usually can get a clutch goal, but this season has been a little bit of a struggle for him. But hopefully, this will be his jump start.
0: Yeah, and it, it, it's crazy for him because, I don't know, out of this season, I really haven't seen him be that aggressive or kind of, because where Tottenham picked him up from, they picked him up from MK Dons. And that's kind of where Dele Alli made his name. And then, you know, Tottenham bought him. And it, basically, he was a grassroots type of player. You know, he had that hard backing of playing in the championship. He wasn't this highly touted, well-groomed, like um, player that was playing for Chelsea or playing for these big clubs right away. I mean, he started out. In MK Dons, I mean, he started out from the bottom and we just kind of haven't seen that grit and that, you know, that hardworking mentality that you would kind of expect from a player that's come up from those ranks and kind of reminds me of uh, of a Jesse Lingard type situation. Um, Obviously, when Lingard tried to burst onto United, um, he came through the academy, but he had to get him loan to a lot of other places such as Brighton um, and a lot of those places like that where he had to build up his stature and build up his style of play. And, you know, that kind of taught him a lot about the toughness it takes to be a professional player. Um, and when he first burst onto United, he hasn't been the most consistent, I would say that, but he did have a strong output for goals. He did chase down players. He did a lot of the nitty and gritty work that a lot of the guys in the bigger wages didn't want to do. But we've seen over the past, you know, couple seasons and, you know, obviously this season – we haven't seen that of Jesse Lingard of lately. He just kind of is lackadaisical and is just kind of running around the pitch like, you know, wildly with no real direction. Um, So it's it's kind of interesting seeing that, that Deli Ali and, um, uh, excuse me, Jesse Jesse Lingard, Lingard. Yeah. Name, name crossed my mind, but Jesse Lingard kind of having the same type of problems in terms of not consistently being there for their teams and just kind of being lost in their headspace. And
1: for Deli Ali, it's not only him for this Tottenham squad too. It's like basically the front four of Christian Eriksen, Young Min Sun, and in this case, Lucas Moura. Is just for some reason Tottenham this season just can't really get something can't it, can't really get it going together. It's like they're just not on the same wavelength either. When you just see in the past, it's like uh, Tottenham it, it looks like a team that's played together for five years because you know they are a team that's played for five years, six years together, like all the same core players. But the season. It just seems a little stale, and I think that's kind of kind of grown into these front four players and Deli Ali more than the others, especially. Oh, yeah. And
0: you know, it's just like what we've been saying all season uh, when we were doing the podcast: the problems at Tottenham they just keep on coming. Um, but but mm-hmm. we can't spend the whole episode talking about Tottenham. We're going to move on to what we said was going to be the biggest game of the weekend, and in some sense, you know, if you look at the scoreline, it probably didn't live up to the hype, but. I thought it did a pretty decent job of showcasing that two of these teams that a lot of people are not talking about right now, but are making big strides in the Premier League, Crystal Palace and Leicester City. Uh, the Foxes ended up picking up a 2-0 win away from home, uh, which is a big result, especially at Sulhurst Park. But I wanted to point out the second goal for Leicester basically um, you know, captures the picture of why this team is doing so well in the Premier League right now. I mean, that was such a good goal. I mean, pretty much everyone on that on the, you know, 11 side for Leicester City basically knocked the ball around and was kicking it around, passing it around, playing good one-twos. And Jamie Vardy, the leading goal scorer of the Premier League, finished it off with an excellent finish. And it just seems like everything's going the way the Leicester City wants it right now. I mean, Brendan Rodgers has got them playing some good stuff. He's got the team outright. I mean, Soren Chu scored, uh, scored a goal in that one too. So, I mean, Leicester City, that goal just basically for me just painted the picture on why this team is doing so well right now.
1: Mm-hmm. Right now Leicester just looks like a mini Barcelona at times, where it's just <laughs> everyone's just on a string. Just everyone's just connected. It it's almost like the opposite of Tottenham where mm-hmm. everyone just knows where to be and where they where their passes will be ahead of time like just three passes ahead. Especially as you pointed out in Jamie Vardy's goal in this game, where it just looks like that was you knew that was going to happen like six passes before it even happened and Crystal Palace couldn't do anything to stop it. But even then, Crystal Palace at home didn't have the best game. They're kind of mediocre, honestly, this game. And it it looks like the Crystal Palace of old where Mm -hmm. it's like, oh, this is not surprising. (laughs) Not surprising from them. And especially saw that when Sooyenshu or as some of my friends call him, Lord Farquaad, (laughs) scored his header goal because basically Gary Cahill and James Tompkins in the corner kick, they just didn't follow him into the box. So Chu basically was just alone for open header, and just he was like, oh, that's kind of surprising to have. And then he just basically just headed it in, free header, and that's how they got the first goal. And that was kind of surprising for me, because usually under Roy Hodgson this season, Crystal Palace has been very organized very like headstrong like they they know what to do mm-hmm. and this this is kind of like a lapse in concentration or more so something where it's like what what were they really thinking yeah. it's like i neither player tracked him they're playing zonal marking and they're just like oh all right he just oh he just went into open space oh all right you got the goal <laughs> and then lord Farquhar, there he goes it- the man with the roastable hair <laughs> As Yusha's sister likes to point out. Yeah, my sister
0: pointed out that she, um, she enjoys that the, a lot of soccer players keep their hairs fresh with the fresh haircut and everything. And then she saw a image of Soinchu and she was just like, accept that guy. (laughs) Um, Man, poor guy. But I was going to point out with palace, even though they have been playing really well, the biggest issue for me is that they don't score a lot of goals. Uh, if you look at the, I think the amount of goals they've scored in the Premier League, it's not a lot. So if they ever go down one nil or even two nil at this case, it's very hard for me to see them make a comeback because of the way they play is very, you know, very defensively. They want to get, they want to basically set up shop, lock it up and then hit you on the counter attack. And once you can see the goal, you can't play that way. So that's kind of what hurts. Um, Palace but with going back to Leicester City Brendan Rodgers I mean if he continues this I mean you kind of have to give him the manager of the season award um, no matter who wins the Premier League but I mean because like he's getting the most out of Iose Perez, Ben Shilwell, Wilfred Ndidi, Soin Chu Johnny Evans the guy that was a United Outcast and at West Brom uh, and Casper Schmeichel has been great. Jamie Vardy has found a new resurgence in this lineup. James Madison is really good. I mean, he's just making the most out of these guys. Like you got Harvey Barnes, you know, I mean, so many players he can throw to that he's getting the most out of. And I'm just, I, I just have to give a round of applause to Brendan Rodgers. I mean, I just, I did not expect this type of man management and this type of uh, style, of, you know, managing where he can just get the most out of these guys. And it's quite remarkable. I definitely had to give him kudos to that.
1: I have to give Brandon Rogers some credit too for the defense because I roasted him a lot for being a pretty piss poor <laughs> manager when it came to defense, especially when he was a Liverpool manager because it was kind of like Arsenal at that time where it was just like, all right, we have to, or Arsenal currently where they just have to outscore the opponent four to two or like five to three because the defense is just never there. But this defense, this Leicester City defense has been very very stout it's just been very strong and like certain players like Soyuncu is just taking over for Harry Maguire and look at that it looks like Harry Maguire just went from a team that was challenging for a top four to just mid-table that's all these knees <laughs> popping up and like just Soyuncu Johnny Evans a former Man U player is making Leicester City look like an incredible team it's like you, it's you wouldn't like think on Liverpool. paper that a team would be able to do this yeah exactly and it's kind of ironic because you know Brandon Rogers did have the Liverpool blueprint <laughs> in his back pocket, so that, that might be a little bit of part of that. But also just bringing out the best in players, like bringing Jamie Vardy back into the scoring sheet. Currently, mm-hmm. Jamie Vardy is the top goal scorer in the Premier League. First, he hit 10 goals yeah. in the Premier League as well. And his ratio after starting with Brandon Rogers is yeah. basically a goal a game. Under 21 games, he scored around 19 goals at this point, which is insane for basically a return. And this is a player that... You know, during the title winning season, we th- he continued to score consistently, but eventually we thought there'd be a drop off. But right now, rolling into his 30s, Jamie Vardy's still going strong and almost as if he was like the same player as he was mm-hmm. during that title winning season. And in fact, during that title winning season from, was it 20, yeah. 2015, 2016, yep. around there, three years ago, Leicester are actually doing better this season than they were that season by just one point. And that kind of goes to show that Leicester are basically de-
0: doing a title winning season kind of run right mm-hmm. now. The Only only problem is the top two teams are basically untouchable. Mm-hmm. I mean, they're just, they're, they're, they're at another level. Like it's just another level, but you know, I was going to say with Brendan Rodgers, I know we like to, a lot of people like to roast him. I know after Liverpool, he went to Celtic and kind of dominated there, but you know, if you're a decent manager, you can dominate at Celtic because that's the that, that's the team there. But, you know, for me, I'm kind of really impressed because he, for me, I kind of see maybe Brendan Rodgers probably learned from his mistakes at Liverpool that, you know, maybe he can't just go all out attack and expect to win the league or, you know, be consistently good. Maybe he realized that, you know, through his mistakes and through the failures at Liverpool that he needed to invest in the defense and basically solidify his core of players that are going to start in his back line to help, you know, improve the play upwards. And I think, you know, we've kind of seen that at Leicester. I know obviously they sold McGuire, but you know, he, he basically has his back back line of Shemichael, Shilwell, um, Chu, and Johnny, Johnny Evans. Evans. Ricardo Pereira yep. as well. Yep. And that, that's basically his solidify. Like when I look at a Leicester's lineup for the Premier League, I expect those five guys to be in the lineup out of anyone else. I mean, I expect those guys to be there. And then obviously he's got his front three of Madison per Iose Perez, um, Barnes, and then, you know, Jamie Barty that he always relies on. So to me, I feel like he's done, he's learned from his mistakes and has really built a good spine for Lester and something that he probably didn't know, or was kind of naive at when he was at Liverpool.
1: Hmm. That's a good point to bring up where it's the experience has kind of grown on Brandon Rodgers, but it kind of to bring a question back from a few podcasts ago, where DC Brandon Rogers going to a bigger club after Leicester. I still feel like Leicester right now is the best club for him because right now these these two pieces, Leicester and Brandon Rogers, they're just working really well together. It's like why why would you change anything at that point? Mm-hmm.
0: So yeah, it's like Leicester for me are kind of in that mixed zone where they they're not as hyped as maybe like a West Ham or Everton where. I don't know. It seems like every year, no matter what happens, we always think Everton or West Ham or especially Everton have to be, you know, the seventh plus seventh best team in the Premier League or have to be reaching into the top six because of their historic history and everything. Um, Leicester, I know they obviously won the title in 2015, 2016, but it was kind of a fluke. Um, but they're kind of in that good zone because if they do well, it's a great achievement. Everyone's hooraying, everyone's in a good, good atmosphere. But if they do bad, I mean sure the point the fingers will be pointed, but it's not in a sense where it's, you know, do or die. You know, it's okay if they maybe finish mid-table and then they finish mid-table again, and then they have that play that season where they get into the eighth or seventh place, seventh place finish, or even challenge for the top four. And I think that provides Brandon Rogers a lot of ease in terms of no fans are kind of kind of are going to call for his job or no pundits are going to call for his job because Leicester City are in the perfect mixture right now,
1: mm-hmm.
0: and they're going
1: way above the expectation, especially mm-hmm. for this season. So. It'll be interesting to see how they go on because Premier League, of course, is a marathon, not a sprint, as we've seen from Norwich this season. <laughs> <laughs> you can have like little spritz of just doing really well and then, you know, showing up at the top half of the table. But we got to see how they end up at the very end of the season. And yeah. also, right now, without any European competition, things like that, Oh, it's they just have domestic cups. control. Mm-hmm. It's it's a lot easier for Brendan Rodgers to manage the lesser team when say compared to a yeah, Liverpool I
0: forgot about the, uh, the tie-ins of European competitions and all of that. Mm-hmm. Um, but you mentioned Norwich just quickly mention them the Pookie party uh, as we like to update, update you guys on is dead, still dead. <laughs> Brighton beating oh. Norwich two 0 So definitely Norwich are in the gutter right now and need some inspiration, but I just wanted to throw that result out there. Um, but going into the Aston Villa Liverpool game, Asheville actually had a 1-0 lead over Liverpool for probably the majority of the game. And then guess what? Liverpool never losing the Premier League, I guess. Uh, they come back and win 2-1. I mean, this team is just so resilient. Even though they don't play the best best um, best of games or had the best of days, they just find ways to win. And it's just so impressive. But I'll just let you expand upon Liverpool.
1: <laughs> Man, Liverpool kind of gave me a heart attack. But <laughs> it's this kind of game where it feels like it'll be the season where (laughs) it'll be the season, man. This is, this is it where it was one nil down. I, you know, it was against Aston Villa at Villa park and they're not the most crazy of opponents, but you know, at home, the, the Kings team, basically, you know, anything could happen, especially in the Premier league. And with Aston Villa one nil up, all they had to do was just sit back and just make sure, just take the hits, just take the punches and Liverpool basically barraged the Aston Villa goal, twenty-five shots and like twenty-five shots to four shots wow. with Villa. So it was basically all Liverpool for most of the game. And Trezeguet scoring that one goal for Aston Villa it's kinda gave him gave him a loyal lifeline. And there's several chances from Salah, Firmino, and Firmino had an offside in this game that I don't think was an offside. There was it was I don't know how, but if you watch the replays, the VAR basically gave Firmino an offside for like a tattoo length, (laughs) like distance away. And it was kind of ridiculous at that Mm -hmm. point. But nevertheless, Liverpool managed to come back with Sadio Mane getting an assist to Robertson and then also Mane scoring the game winner in the 95th minute from a corner kick. So... It's these kind of situations that you think it's like Liverpool might actually pull it off. Like this is this could no, be the season. No, they, they
0: definitely say it's the um. <laughs> it's it's these type of games. It's not the easy games that you win four or five nil or three nil or two nil. It's the games where you have to really dig deep and win it. And we've seen Manchester City win these type of games last season. Last season before that, so it, it won't shock me that if we might, if we see Liverpool at the end of the season hoisting up the title, I don't want to see it, but. <laughs> Dude, I see. <laughs> yeah, no but I also do
1: I do want to also point out that Trent Alexander Arnold oh my gosh this this guy he is like a little mini Kevin De Bruyne because every chance like he can just create chances just out of nothing like he can just cross the ball just switch the play so effortlessly to Andrew Robertson or just cross the ball 50 70 yards up the field to Salah or Firmino it's just it's incredible that Trent Alexander Arnold has just blossomed into this kind of player. And he's younger than me too, which is which is a little crazy. <laughs> like this guy's going big. And he also had his hundredth uh Premier League game or hundredth Liverpool wow. game actually for the club. So this is a big achievement for him. And he's only just twenty-one years of age. That's yes. that's
0: huge. Is he younger than you, yes? Well he's the same age, 21 one, twenty one.
1: I'll <laughs> oh, say that.
0: So, no, definitely um, I know we mentioned this question maybe four or five episodes ago, but it's, do you see uh Alexander Arnold ending up as a right back? Does he stay as a right back? Cause he's just like, he's so good attacking wise that um, one of our friends actually said he could end up becoming a Gareth Bale situation where Gareth Bale actually started out as a left back with Southampton. And then, you know, eventually worked his way into becoming a left midfielder. And then obviously he's, you know, we've seen what Gareth Bale can do, but do you see Alexander Arnold maybe transitioning into becoming a right winger, um, you know, over the years. I think based on the situation right now at
1: Liverpool, we have a surplus of attackers and midfielders. But in terms of the defense, for right back, especially, it's maybe him, Trent Alexander-Arnold, Joe Gomez at times, and then Nathaniel Klein wherever he is. But <laughs> <laughs> I think it's also based on availability, too, because Gareth Bale at Tottenham didn't really have that much in terms of the attack. They had, like, your and then <laughs> <you're> going way <laughs> back, like these throwback names. But and if I remember correctly, they did have a decent amount of left backs. They had Asuakado. Oh wow! And yeah, yeah, this <laughs> way throwback. So and Gareth Bale, in my opinion, when you think of him, he's not really that much of a defender. But when you think of Trent Young's and Arnold, he's a lot more defensive minded than Gareth Bale. And I personally think Gareth Bale is a lot better as an attacker as well. He just has that kind of drive that Trent Alexander Arnold doesn't really have. They mm-hmm. have the same rocket of a foot, I'll say, in terms of like free kicks and just whipping in a cross or just whipping or just ripping a long shot. Yeah. But in terms of like clinical finishing, like Gareth Bale, he just it was so natural for him. But for Trent Alexander Arnold, if you give him a free kick, I think they're almost not on par, but like they're pretty close. But in like open play, there have been times where like Trent Alexander Arnold was just like shanked it a little bit wide or just you know when you think of gareth bale you can just finesse it from anywhere in the field it feels like
0: no i think i think that's true and I, but i don't know every time i watch alexander arnold play like he's just got such good technique on his foot um he can basically hit a half volley he can hit a free kick i mean he can whip in a cross if it, if like if you had if your life depended on it alexander arnold would hit the cross on the money i mean he is so good at crossing the crossing the ball um Kind of reminds well, he's kind of the antithesis of maybe Aaron Wambasaka for United, because Wambasaka, he's such a good defender, but obviously he needs to improve dramatically or drastically into his offensive game because he really lacks in that sense. But in terms of defending, I mean Wambasaka's got like the longest legs ever and he just he's so good at 1v1 situations. But um both great defenders and obviously both English players, so England's got a, a good uh, a good a good depth at right back, I would say, for the next ten years or so, uh, when it comes mm-hmm. to the national team. But um, Liverpool continuing their winning ways. Uh, I'm just actually going to jump a little bit to Man City, the team in second place. They actually had to make a comeback too. Um, but quite an odd weekend for big clubs. PSG lost over the weekend. Barca lost. Liverpool and Man City at 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 one point or another looked like they were going to lose too. So not the best weekend for the big clubs, but. Man City pulled this one out too at home, get a, got a 2-1 victory against Southampton. It seems like they're always pulling pulling out comeback victories against this team. Um, but I would have to just point out for Southampton, I think even though they lost, I think they made up for the fact that they got humiliated by Leicester City the previous week. And I know, I really think that this performance can ease a lot of fans because they did play with a lot of heart. And, you know, at the end of the day, it was just the quality of Man City. You just couldn't stop it forever.
1: Mm-hmm. And also for Southampton's goal, it was a mistake from Ederson, just uh, a shot that he just couldn't keep down or parry away or just catch. It was just some, a goalkeeping error, and that led to James Ward-Prowse getting a basically a tap-in. Mm-hmm. And I've, I was hoping Southampton would come back going into this game thinking, all right, we can't get embarrassed again. And of all teams to face, <laughs> it could very well happen. Like, there would be a team to like spank another team 8-0, it would be Man City. Although they haven't been doing that this season, they have the capabilities of doing so. And it basically looked like like a replica of the Aston Villa versus Liverpool game, where after Southampton got a goal within the first 20 minutes, they basically just had to defend the house, where Man City just barraged them with another set of attacks, with Man City shooting 26 shots and Southampton literally shooting just three. (laughs) <laughs> and two of those shots came from James Ward-Prowse's, like, tap-in. So, like, literally, like, that build-up of play. So, literally, just everything happened for Southampton in the beginning of the game. So, it, it was basically,
0: like, a replica
1: of Aston Villa versus Liverpool. Yeah, it's funny that
0: top two teams had the similar situation. They both pulled out of it. I mean, obviously, Liverpool were away. Man City had the luxury of being at home, but both teams dug deep and pulled out a victory.
1: Mm-hmm. And for this game, Sergio Aguero did start, actually, mm-hmm. instead of Gabriel Jesus, and he, of course he did score. It was, I have to admit, it was a pretty nice cross from Kyle Walker. That was like a rip of a cross, just <laughs> across the ground, and it was just like perfectly placed, and then just went through the legs of Alex McCarthy, who replaced Angus Gunn in goal, which which means Hassan Hudl does listen to our podcast, <laughs> 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 because I roasted Angus Gunn for not having the best set of games recently, especially against uh, Leicester in the 9-0 defeat. So with Alex McCarthy in goal, you know, he was a little rusty, which makes sense because he hasn't played for basically like a year at this point. But for Southampton to have a result 2-1, it was a respectable loss against like title contenders and especially coming off the 9-0. But Mm -hmm. for a team to come back from basically just the worst game in Premier League history and kind of have this kind of show that that's a good sign. But unfortunately for Southampton, it,
0: it came out with nothing. (laughs) Yeah. It came away with nothing, but, uh, Quick little nugget for Man City in the midweek um, in the Champions League. Ederson actually had to be subbed off because he was injured. Barrio Bravo came on. He got sent off for a red card. That meant Kyle Walker was basically thrust into goal, had to put on the goalie jersey against um, Atalanta, I believe, the the game was and he actually made it he made a save and it was funny because when he made the save it was like the 90th minute and i don't think i didn't think he i think he forgot to you know when keepers make a save they just kind of lay down for a little bit to just kill time off he actually got up and then mendy was basically telling him to go down and it it was just a funny sight to see um so we know that if man city are ever in a punch or need someone to sub in quickly for a goalie, they got Kyle Walker, so that that was pretty funny to see. But man, better than Harry
1: Kane <laughs> yeah. goal back in the days.
0: Jeez, I remember yeah, that? Harry Kane had a free kick to defend, and basically he stopped it, and then the ball just went in between his legs. <laughs> he he pulled it.
1: an Angus Gun right there, <laughs> literally. But Kyle oh, Walker man. with that <laughs> putting on the gloves made him one of the top five most expensive goalkeepers oh, of all yeah, time. Oh yeah, I saw that. Yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Oh, He's even man. more expensive than Anderson. Exactly. So that's that was funny. Yeah. That was a quick quick little joke. I mean, the internet loved that, especially Twitter. Twitter loved that. But mm-hmm. um, going into the Bournemouth menu game, it was the opening game of Saturday, 8.30 in the morning. I woke up for, I went for it. I actually had to drop my sister off for SAT test that morning. So I was up and early <laughs> for this one. I was pretty hyped because United just came away from three, three victories in a row. They beat Chelsea away at Stamford Bridge. Rashford scored that amazing free kick. It seemed like the team was building a lot of confidence, but they were going at Bournemouth, and it was if you ever if you watched the game, you could clearly tell the conditions were really bad. It was almost like a cold, rainy day. Rainy day in Bournemouth, and it was the wind was swirling. (laughs) It was rainfall was pouring. It was very bad conditions, but. I would have to say for the first, I would say, 10 or 15 minutes, United were on top. They created a lot of chances and looked like they they were going to score. It was just a matter matter of when. But after those 15 minutes, Bournemouth started to get a little bit more confidence. And after that, United couldn't really pick up their pace of play. And Bournemouth took advantage of that ended up scoring. Um, Josh King scored the winning goal basically at the end of the first half. And I just wanted to point out, the performance of Harry Maguire. Um, A lot of United fans kind of use Victor Lindelof as a scapegoat. I have to admit he hasn't had the best of seasons. Um, He's been kind of weak recently and, you know, not the best of season. But Harry Maguire, he was the big money signing from Leicester. He was supposed to be there to shore up the center back position and make it, you know, a fortress. And at times he's done that. But against the Chelsea game in the Carabao Cup, he did let Bitchy, bitchy, why just kind of run across him, and that's how he scored. And then with this, with this game, he just kind of lost track of Josh King, and it and it meant like everyone else had to be pushed. He basically had to make up for his mistake by coming in late and wasn't really marking Josh King well enough. Um, so I just wanted to point out that Maguire hasn't been at his best recently, and it, it's you know it's not the best you want to see, especially considering the amount of money they paid for him. Um, obviously, we all knew he was not as good as Van Dyke, but he was supposed to be good enough to kind of help assure things. And I think he, he is going to end up becoming a really good center back for United. Um, Obviously this season, he's kind of had off and on displays, mostly good displays, but recently hasn't been the best. Pereira had another awful game for United. Um, I'm still so, so about him. Just because there are games where he just looks like he can has he has potential to basically live up to something like a squad player, but then other times he just looks like he shouldn't be anywhere near United shirt. Um, and then another thing, Brandon Williams, the young left back, needs to be starting over Ashley Young. I don't know why Ashley Young continues to get the starting position. I know he's the club cat captain, but Brandon Williams is just so much better because he's younger, he's quicker he's a natural defender at left back. Uh, he's a guy, he's got a decent cross on him too. So I would prefer to see Brandon Williams kind of be inserted as a, the new left back for Manchester United over Ashley Young. I don't know if Ole Gunnar Solskjaer will do that, but I just kind of, I, I want to see that youngster in, but I mean, they ended up winning in the Thursday game uh, today in the Europa League. So it looks like it's going to just be off and on displays for United this season, but it was a disappointing result, I would say.
1: Well, if Huddle showed us anything is that if, uh, we see Brandon Williams start in the next game. Then looks like Solskjaer listens to the podcast as well. <laughs> <laughs> but I do have to point out the defensive error that led to the goal where Josh King basically had three touches in the box before slotting it into the back of the net. That's something you don't usually see in this level or this high level of football where a player like Josh King is able to basically take time to control the ball in the Manchester United goal box. Mm-hmm. And for that to happen, that's kind of like a rookie error where certain players like Lindelof, they shouldn't be allowing a player, he needs to be more aggressive to make sure like Josh King doesn't even get the shot off. Because if he prevented that, then it would have been a nil-nil game and it would be a whole different kind of outlook. But with United losing this game, that just that one little thing led to... Basically, them going away from Bournemouth despite the monsoon type conditions with just no with no points. But I do have to point out in the front as well where the defense, because there's no attack to really push the team forward, like with Martial struggling, Rashford kind of struggling, and of course, Pereira, he's been, he, he looks like a center mid trying to play cam or just center attacking mid. And it just looks a little uncomfortable there. It's just without an outlet for the defense to really throw the ball to, it's like basically it's just like, well, we just defended that attack. Now we do have another wave to defend again. Mm-hmm. So it's not surprising that every once in a while, like a slip of that, a slip in terms of defensive prowess or like just standard, like things like that would, would yeah. happen. But to go back to your point of Ashley Young also playing left back, that's a tough one because – let's say Luke Shaw after he comes back from injury is, and who would be the backup? Would it be Ashley young or would it be Brandon Williams? And
0: it, 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 will, it will probably be Ashley young. Cause if, if you remember when they had the whole team fit, Ashley young was actually a substitute. It was Paul Pogba who is the captain, obviously he's injured. Um, but, Luke Shaw is supposed to be inserted in that lineup but I'll, I it, it's interesting because a lot of United fans on Twitter and just in general are not the biggest fan of Luke Shaw because even though he does when he does play he's you know pretty decent and performs you know fairly well the problem is he just gets hurt too much to really trust him to be a consistent starter for United um he got injured in the Crystal Palace game it was a hamstring injury i believe and that's you know why he's been out for so long but for me i'm just Kind of really fed up with Luke Shaw in a sense because he's just always in and out of the lineup. He's always hurt. Um, I mean, I know he's trying his best to stay fit and stay healthy, and I can, uh, you know, really appreciate that. But um, if you want to be a Manchester United player, you know, what they always say is your best ability is your availability. And for Luke Shaw, that just hasn't been the case for his United career. He's just always been in and out of the lineup. And, you know, I could see why maybe Ole Gunnar Solskjaer would prefer and Ashley Young because, you know as much as a lot of people like the dog on Ashley Young he does stay healthy and he does stay fit for the entire season and you can pretty much rely on him to be in their game in and game out and that's you can't really say that for Luke Shaw that's why a lot of united fans are kind of on the boat of Brandon Williams because what we've seen from him is just a little bit something different from Luke Shaw he's a, i think is a little bit quicker and in terms of like natural defending, I think he he just reads the game a little bit better than Luke Shaw too. Um, so that's why I'm on the Brandon Williams train over Luke Shaw. Hmm.
1: But Luke Shaw, he was at one point, one of the most expensive left backs in the he world did. during the He's time. He's got to start showing that potential, miles. man. Remember that. He's got to start showing it. In Southampton. Was, There's was a lot of hype for him, but you know, on his day, he he does show that he has the potential to be one of the... A great left back and also left backs are they're not that many mm-hmm. in professional football, especially in that position, because, you know, most people who play left back are left footed. Statistically, they're not that many people left footed in the world <laughs> compared to right footed. And right now, literally, man, you're playing a former right wing or left wing. Yeah, right wing. <laughs> at Left yep. back. It's like a James Milner situation, except slightly worse.
0: <laughs> yeah, and it, it sucks too because like whenever he gets on the wing, he can't really cross on his left foot. I mean, everything he has to cut it back on his right. So, as a defender, you pretty much know what he's going to do. Uh, so mm-hmm. that's why it's so important that we need to get a left-footed left back in there, so it just provides a better outlet for United. But
1: you know, but also do want to point one other <laughs> player that has been struggling at United that we kind of kind of hinted at a little earlier in one of the in yesterday's analysis but Jesse Lingard he got subbed into yeah. this game still no shots he has less shots than Ben Foster Ben Foster the goalkeeper for Watford at on goal which is a little crazy yeah. to say he plays the same he position as Dele Alli, basically. he hasn't
0: assisted or scored a goal since I think February or March of last year holy cow <laughs> that's terrible like, think about that he hasn't scored or assisted since then and it's it's just been a long time coming. I think,, uh, I mean, I just don't know what to say because, like when he does come on, he just kind of just runs around and presses people, which is fine. But when it comes to the quality that you need to be a united player, I mean, he's just nowhere near the quality of Rashford or Martial or even Dan James. Dan James is younger than a lot younger than Jesse Lingard and has come from Swansea and just looks a million times better than Jesse Lingard. Um. Does and it's kind of sad to see because I I was a fan of Lingard and I you know I still root for him but you know I don't know he just really hasn't performed and it just seems like he's just kind of taking a space up for other players that could potentially break in into the United squad so I wouldn't be surprised if you know maybe not I wouldn't see him leave this window but maybe in the summer transfer window maybe he goes out on loan or United end up just pulling the trigger and selling him I wouldn't be surprised if that ends up happening. Um. If anything that keeps him at the club, it's probably because he's really good friends with (laughs) Marcus Rashford and good friends with Paul Pogba. If they're trying to keep Paul Pogba to stay there, you know, one of those things. But I think it's time for United to kind of let him go. But enough talk about United. We have to go into the Watford-Chelsea game. Actually, a game where Ben Foster had a shot on goal at the last... Basically, the last kick of the game had a shot on goal, but Kepa saved it. But really wanted to point out the assist by Jorginho. I mean... Oh my. If you haven't seen the video, you have to watch the video of it. I mean, the timing, the anticipation, I mean, everything that you would want in like literally a perfect soccer assist, it was in that goal. I mean, basically the ball was passed over to Jorginho. Abraham wasn't even making the run. That's the craziest thing. Tommy Abraham wasn't even making that run. He just anticipated that Abraham, if he knocked the ball over there, it was basically a bent in cross from basically the middle of the park of the midfield. And it fell right in the feet of Abraham and he slotted it away for a beautiful finish. Um, kind of reminiscent. Seems like Frank Lampard was kind of teaching Jorginho his own tricks when he was in the midfield. So, um, and Pulisic getting on the score sheet again. I mean, it was. I still can't. I was mesmerized by that assist. It was gorgeous. Mm-hmm. That was literally the assist of the season so far. Like mm-hmm. it was,
1: it was kind of in terms of how we're talking about how Leicester. You just kind of can't. You just know something's gonna happen. Like that's something you can't really plan out. It's it just kind of it just happened. It was just like yeah. how how did everyone on this know to do that? It was just
0: like same wavelength kind of situation where, it's, would it's just one touch. it's all about training. It's yeah. it's a training like Lampard telling. You know, his midfield is that, hey, when you get the ball, expect that your forward is, forwards are gonna make that run because that's what we're practicing. And, you know, going back to Delhi Ali, what made him so good was that he knew it's like that what made that whole Tottenham team so good was the anticipation they had because they knew that if they picked up the ball, they knew where Harry Kane, where Erickson, where Ali was gonna run so they could pass it. And the anticipation was it was so good. And then we're seeing that with Chelsea right now.
1: Mm-hmm. But on the flip side, also for Watford, a team that has not gotten a win yet this season. And yeah. we're in week 11, week 12. Like that's They're struggling. Crazy. This is they,
0: a fact for a relegation team.
1: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> straight relegation they, right there.
0: They are in the... Uh, their, their toe, not their toast zone. They still have some time, but they're reaching that... You don't want to be in that zone where Fulham was last season. That's
1: true. But also, they don't really have any player that can really dig them out right now. De La Feu finally got a goal this this game. It had to come from, in my opinion, a dive to draw a penalty. <laughs> that, was, that was kind of some cheese right there. The VAR just kind of just went out the window on that one in terms of credibility. But De La Feu finally got on the score sheet after struggling this whole season. And he slotted away the penalty. And that led to them having a chance in the final seconds of the game with Ben Foster getting that diving header onto Kepa. But... Even then, Watford still couldn't get anything going. And this game kind of shows that if there is a team right now to kind of bet on to go down just in terms of just luck and just struggling to make chances, it looks like Watford.
0: Mm -hmm. Looks like uh, them firing and cycling through managers is finally going to catch up to them. Um, But going into the Arsenal Wolves game, Arsenal hosting Wolves, ended up finishing as a draw. Biggest news coming out of that game was... Uh, Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang is now the new captain at Arsenal. Uh, Granted, Xhaka has been stripped from his captaincy. And reports are that Xhaka, I think the Arsenal board, are really insisting on selling Xhaka during the January transfer window. So I guess Arsenal fans are kind of getting what they wish for. Um, Xhaka will no longer be at the club. um, And it seems like his time has run out. And, you know, now Arsenal fans are kind of moving on. Like, when can we get Emery out? Uh, So... Uh, things are starting to fall in place, but it was a big move by Emery, I would say, to put Aubameyang as the captain. Um, but again, a disappointing result to be drawing against Wolves. A Wolves team that is playing well, but you're at home. Um, so Arsenal still in that flux situation of that toxicity that we keep talking about with that team.
1: Mm-hmm. But it kind of goes to we what we talked about last podcast, where because they're in this flux and so much toxicity going on at the club it's not too surprising as well to see a draw and the thing that really surprised me the most actually this game is that Mesut Ozil got a start he started this game and this is one of the things that I've been advocating and some Arsenal fans have been advocating too because he's one of the star players one of the big name team players on the wage basically the wage budget and for him to basically be in purgatory most of the season finally finally get a start it, it showed because he made so many chances, not so many, but he made noticeable chances, big chances that led to a shot on target or just a shot on goal. And it's, it's good to see Ozil back. I was like, yes, there he is. And, of course, Xhaka <laughs> didn't get a start. He got put on the bench and Torea got to start. So little things like that is showing that Unai Emery, he is on the back foot. And now if he plays these players, he doesn't really, there's no one really else there's no one really to blame now where it's like, all right, now Emery's actually playing the players that he's supposed to play according to not only Arsenal fans, but like play, like neutral fans like me and Yush, where it's like, why isn't he playing Terrier? Why isn't he mm-hmm. playing Meso Ozil? But now since he's playing them, it's like, all right, now he has to get the most out of yep. them because against the Wolves team at home, I know there's a lot of turmoil, but like in these situations as Arsenal manager and as Arsenal football club, they got to be getting results. They got to be getting some mm-hmm. points, and with a good squad, with not only a starting, but also Lacazette starting this game, and Pepe, you know from yeah, on the it's bench, big
0: name players all over the place.
1: There's big name players all over the place, and also you got Kieran Tierney starting again, and Callum Chambers at right and left back. So, like the defense is also starting to show up as well in terms of like consistency of like just starting players. You don't see like Maitland Maitland Niles just every once in a while there anymore. It's, they're actually starting to see us more solidified back four so mm-hmm. right now there has been rumors I think yes that you're gonna mention that if Una Emery doesn't start getting results this is gonna be a big turning point for the club
0: and him yeah we're, we're gonna mention a little bit in our preview section but um, their next game is against Leicester City uh, and you know it's at the KP and if they don't win this game, I've seen reports from verified Twitter reporters on um, that cover Arsenal that the board has talked about sacking Emory if they don't get a win against Leicester city. Um, and that's a big result for them because I mean, that's huge. That's a huge statement by the club. Um, I think it just doesn't really make sense for me because I, I just never really believed in the philosophy that if a manager loses this next game, he's gonna get sacked. If he's not good, or if he's not the man, why don't you just sack him now? What's the what's stopping you? Like how is beating Leicester City saving him from his job if you already know or feel like he's not gonna be the man? I feel like with talks like this about, you know, if he doesn't win the match, he's gonna get sacked. You already know that after this season is done, he's going to be gone somehow, some way. We saw it with Louis Van Gaal when he was struggling. The talk was that oh, if he loses the next two games, he's going to get sacked as United manager. And guess what? He got sacked at the end of the season. Same with Mourinho. It was, oh, if Mourinho loses this next couple of games, he's going to get sacked by the United board. Guess what? He didn't get sacked. I mean, he basically, he got sacked at the end, of, at, in the middle of the season. But I always feel like if you know he's not the guy, why are you waiting for a result to justify um, to sack him? I feel like it shows that as a board, you have a lot more courage to just, go ahead and sack him when you know he's not the guy and just bring in someone that you feel like is going to do the job. So, I don't know. That's just my two cents on it. I, I never really believed in that. He, oh, he's got to win his next two games to save his job. That, t- that to me, is just more toxic than anything else. Mm-hmm.
1: And I agree with that, yes, too, because it's like, all
0: right, if he wins the next game, then
1: <laughs> what happens when he finally loses? Yeah, I like mean, you gonna no you're going to sack him, then? Like, where is he like... Yeah, you're gonna-
0: <laughs> It's like, why? <laughs> yeah, it just provides unnecessary drama for a team that already has so much drama circulating itself. So that's not a good sign to see. Um, we'll talk about in our preview, but um, quickly going into Newcastle-West Ham. Newcastle winning 3-2 against the, against the Hammers. As soon as we started giving West Ham some praise, it just seems like it's the premier pod curse. The team just starts losing. And for West Ham, that's been the case. Newcastle, I'm thoroughly surprised how good and how decent they've been. Considering they lost Rafa Benitez in the summer, I thought with the loss of such a great manager, they were going to struggle mightily. But they've had they've picked up some good results. They beat Manchester United. They've beaten West Ham. And they're doing a decent job of staying in the league. But that's that's how well they're progressing. And then obviously we mentioned Brighton beating Norwich. And then Sheffield um, picking up a 3-0 win against Burnley. So really kind of the bottom feeders in the Premier League just picking up some decent results. <laughs> Bottom
1: teams, <laughs> but yeah, of course, Newcastle and Brighton are the two surprise mm-hmm. teams that we anticipated would be in the relegation battle for most of the season, picking up some big points. And Brighton, actually, one of the teams that are starting to ascend and doing a lot better. And like a core starting 11, where if you looked at it, it's it wouldn't be players that you've seen in previous seasons, it's like almost all new, like Connolly as well, like just all these new players, like Maupay and Trossard is basically like a whole new starting 11 almost and you know kudos to Graham Potter for basically turning the Brighton ship around and kind of proving his doubters wrong so far because Brighton is one of the teams that I'd say would get relegated for sure after losing Chris Hutton and also just changing so many of the key players Mm but I mean they're managing to get the results kind of like how Crystal Palace are right now just you know scraping it through and you know, if there's vulnerability in the other team like Norwich right now, then they actually managed to pull it through. And for Newcastle, they managed to score three goals with three set pieces. <laughs> and they didn't score with any of their attacking players. John Joe Shelby was like the most attacking player of the three that scored. But Kieran Clark scored. Federico Fernandez scored. And of course, as I just said, John Joe Shelby scored the most arbitrary set of players to score, honestly. But... Nevertheless, this is another game where Newcastle are having their defenders score from set pieces you know they're getting they're getting results from these set pieces and this is the first game where they won from more or they scored more than one mm-hmm. goal in a game <laughs> and they had to to get the 3-2 result but i don't know what's happening with West Ham what is, what are they doing they're just after giving so much praise you know beating manchester united going on a run they're just been struggling and i think it has a little bit to do with losing Lucas Fabianski to, to injury and having Roberto in goal. But even then, West Ham, they should be doing a lot better with, especially having Haller, Yarmolenko, and Felipe Anderson yeah. all healthy. And Yeah, Felipe Anderson has
0: had the best uh, season. We've still yet to see him kind of kick on. I mean, he had a very strong um, last season, but this season it really hasn't kicked off. And with Newcastle, uh, they have Saint Maxim and Al Miron kind of starting as their wingers. And they've kind of been their core wingers for the For this season, we've seen spurts of Maxim kind of showing showcasing how good he is and how fast he is. And then Amirone has had his spurts where, you know, you kind of see the quality that they bought from Atlanta United, but hasn't been very consistent in front of goal and in terms of being that consistent output. But both of them do run very hard and they do give a lot. So that's helped Newcastle a good bit. But we are now transitioning into our preview section. Um, As we mentioned, uh, we have the Leicester City Arsenal game. We obviously talked about the Unai Emery situation. Very toxic. Uh, they're at the KP. Leicester City are just on a roll right now. And and that's why I have to roll with Leicester getting a 2-0 victory over Arsenal. I agree with Yush in this, actually, because at the
1: KP, Brandon Rodgers, I don't see Brandon Rodgers really letting or taking the foot off the pedal. I think he's very ruthless when it comes to certain situations. You know, at times at Liverpool, there were times where he didn't have his foot fully on the pedal and then like a team would be able to come back I remember Chris Christenbold oh my gosh i remember that that that's <laughs> still ingrained in my brain but i don't think he's going to let that happen again especially against arsenal who is just struggling right now and just so much turmoil i think with lester just being so hot right now and arsenal being kind of motivated for the wrong reasons
0: i see lester winning this 2-0 as well mm-hmm. and we got two teams that desperately need a win right now Norwich Watford the Pukki party has ended. Watford Stonio victory. Both teams are struggling mightily because of that. I'm just gonna go with the nil nil. I think both teams are just lacking confidence, and uh, I just don't see either of them winning.
1: I I also agree with you, Ash, in terms of the result. But I don't. I think there will be goals because if there's a game where these two teams see an opportunity to really turn their season around or really get some momentum going. And really see some vulnerabilities in another team, it would be this this matchup. Because this could be a matchup that can decide who gets relegated at the very end of the season. Because these two teams are currently in the relegation zone. So for that reason, like two bottom teams, basically, if this was NFL equivalent, is like Washington Redskins versus Miami Dolphins. Except there's there's no draft to tank for. It's just literally just <laughs> survive or get relegated. So I think this game there will be goals and finally some teams, some players, maybe Timo Pukki will find himself on the score sheet. Hopefully I have a soft spot for him, but hopefully we'll see some goals and I think it'll be a 1-1. It'll be kind of scrappy, but I don't see either team really getting a result based on how the season's been going
0: for them so far, but I see a 1-1 and a draw nice all right we're both predicting draws right there and then obviously the biggest game of the weekend the blockbuster premier league matchup number one versus number two liverpool hosting manchester city at anfield uh you're talking about two probably the best managers in the world right now two great squads um i'm this game is going to be so fun to watch i'm looking i'm so looking forward to watching this one with Liverpool being at home and Man City traveling away, I have to give the edge towards Liverpool because Jurgen Klopp does not lose at Anfield. No matter how many times I bet it against it, he just doesn't lose at Anfield. And I think Liverpool get a 2-1 victory, and I think they will make some breathing space against them and Manchester City. So I'm going to go with a 2-1 Liverpool victory. Ooh. All right, this is...
1: This is a big game because Liverpool have not lost at Anfield for basically two years now. And if there is a team that can come into Liverpool and end that streak, because, you know, streaks, streaks will end, it could be Man City. And especially in the situation where if Manchester City win, then the gap will only be three points. And if Liverpool wins, then the gap between the two will be nine points. And that'll be huge in the season for the very end. Right now, but even more so more than the the season. It's hard to say who will win because both teams are coming off a match in the Premier League at least where it was kind of scrappy where they both had to make comebacks against lower opposition to get the three points. And they had very similar games. And even the Champions League as well, they faced... uh, Manchester City faced Atalanta, got a draw there. And then Liverpool... Genk gank and got a 2-1 victory there so it's gonna be also difficult to see what the starting 11s will be if Oxley chamberlain starts for Liverpool I think there'd be a good chance he might score because he likes to he likes to score against Man city in these kind of games but <laughs> this game could decide the title and I think with that kind of pressure Liverpool are more likely to get a result but I think What'll happen is going to be a draw. <laughs> oh,
0: <laughs> I no. I think it'll be
1: a 2-2 draw. And Ooh, the, exciting. It'll be an exciting 2-2 draw, but I think it'll be pretty close to most of the season, and I, I don't really see this game being a game that can decide the title. Or it, it is a game that can decide the title, but I don't see this game actually doing so. I think it'll be a draw. It's 2-2's a little high because last, t- last season, it was a nil-nil at Anfield, but I think right now 2-2 seems pretty fair given that in my opinion their defenses for both teams haven't
0: been great this season and that'll lead to some chaos (laughs) oh yeah um that's a very interesting result 2-2 i could definitely see it happening i'm gonna roll with liverpool on this one 2-1 but with that that kind of rounds up episode 50 for us uh thank you guys so much for listening make sure to rate comment subscribe tell us what you like what you don't like what we can improve on we want to hear your thoughts um but that kind of does it for us thank you guys so much for listening peace peace